said, well, no, he said, when we went to bed, my mom was there. When we woke up in the morning, our mom was there. They had no idea that for a long time, their mom was working the third shift that night. She would leave them, she would, they would go to sleep, she would leave, go work her third shift, and by the time that she got off of work, they were starting to wake up. Get ready for the uncloseted conservative hour you've been waiting for. No censors, no fake news, just facts and the freedom to speak them. Friends, if you are still in the conservative closet, I've got one question for you. Why? We've sat in silence. We've been on the sidelines for years. How has it been working out? That's why it's an uncloseted conservative revolution right here, right now. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host. And guys, today's episode is presented by MyPillow. Make sure you go over to MyPillow.com. Use promo code MOBLEY. You can get uh, buy one, get one on so many of the products. Uh, You can also just type in MyPillow.com slash MOBLEY and all of the discounts are applied right there. You don't even have to do anything. It is that easy. So we're dropping another one of the Fearless Live Summit videos on you guys today. It is Robert Wood Anderson's interview with Ty Smith. If you don't know who Ty Smith is, one, you're probably living under a rock. And two, maybe you just don't have time for all the nonsense in the media. Uh, But Ty Smith is the modern renaissance man on YouTube. Uh, Here's his channel. Please go over and subscribe to his channel. Really going to town on the school board about all of their uh, CRT stuff that they were doing. Here he is uh, on Candace's show. Awesome episode of Candace they did, I think, last January. Uh, but anyway, hope you enjoy his interview. Again, he is Ty Smith. His YouTube channel is The Modern Renaissance Man. The link is going to be down below. Let's get into it. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to another great interview. Today, I'm very pleased to have Ty Smith with me. Uh, You probably know him from that uh, very impassioned speech that he made at the Bloomington, Illinois School Board thrashing critical race theory. Um, That's where I first really uh, knew about him. Um, There are other things he's done and does all the time, and I'd like to talk to you about some of those a little bit, Ty. But I want everybody to know that they can catch you on Cities 929 Radio, Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. That's www.cities929.com, and we'll put that down below this this video so you can all catch them there. Well, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Fine. Your weather's gone. Goodness. (laughs) For now. For now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's get started by talking about your childhood a little bit. you grew up in Chicago and in Decatur, and mainly in Decatur is where I think um, you kind of, kind of came to realize many things about your life. And can you tell us a little bit how you started out, what your life was like, um, um, really getting to the point where 
you can tell us about the things that, that were keeping you down and how you dealt with that if there were such things. Right. Well, let's say in the beginning, the fact that we, uh, I mean, just being honest, came up in a uh, single parent home. It was just my mom. My dad left us at a super early age to where it was just kind of like remnants of who he was. I remember like seeing him every now and then. And the only reason why he knew he was our dad is because we were told that's your dad. So our, he pretty much, uh, <clears throat> he left our mom, me, and my three other brothers. And uh, as a single mom, it was rough. And now my mom, four boys now, four boys. And <laughs> we are back to back. You know what they say? You got stair-step kids? Well, one of my brothers, we're not even stair-step. We're the same age for 13 days before his birthday. That's how one of us are real close. But what we started to notice is that the areas that we grew up at, they were like really, really high, really high crime, really high crime, really high drug area. I mean, we've seen anything from fights. We've seen murders, literally. And there's a street code where you don't talk about things like that when the police come because you don't want to be a victim of anybody that you knew might have had something to do with the murdering or the beating or the rape or the robbery. So getting used to that type of lifestyle was not something that any kid would want to go through. But at the same time, sadly to say, you actually kind of adapt to it and you become used to it. So um, as we got older, we noticed that it became super hard for our mom. Like it was just, she, it was just devastating. Like she just, she couldn't take care of us no more. So of course, one of the few things you had to lean to was the streets. You know, like uh, you want to eat. So uh, you got other family members that might be involved in drugs and all that. So that's what some of my family members turn to. Now, one of the things that really just got me is that I noticed that there was this talk all the time. Man, the reason why things are like it is right now, because them white folks, them white folks, you know, the, the white man is keeping us down, you know, them white people. That's the reason why we're like this, you know, nobody can get it. We always, we in the hood because them white people put us there now. You got to think about it from a kid's mind. That literally, I literally thought like some white man put my mom them here in the projects to put them here in the ghetto. You know, from you know, you a kid and you hearing that, you literally thinking about this white man that put us there. So since I don't know what know what this white man looked like, you can only just have a vision of just white men, period. And so what that ended up doing, that began to make you just begin to start to hate white men. You just hated them. You they you don't know anything about them, but all you know is that the fact that. All the crime, all the drugs, all the fighting, all the murders, the crackheads, all that stuff that's going on. The reason why me as a kid is here is because some white man put my mom here. So I can't stand white people. They, you know, and then it makes it even worse that if you see video programs or TV shows where it do seem like white people seem to be more successful than black people. Most commercials show white people being successful, et cetera, et cetera. So it seemed like it even further edified this thought process or this type of ideology you start to formulate. So what happened, and this might sound real crazy, and I spoke about this, I did a TED Talk uh, back in October, and this is what I told them. The crazy thing, and I thank God for a change of moment in my life, was my older cousin would always tell me about these creatures that dwelled in the basement, and they come out at night. Whenever I would go down these stairs to get ready to go to the refrigerator to get something to drink, I had to go past a basement door, and this basement door led to the downstairs. I would get there and I would freak out. I wanted some water so bad, but if I walked past that basement door, those creatures that my cousin told me about would grab me and snatch me and pull me in. Now, as a kid. So finally, I'm talking about this went on for months. It got to a point to where I couldn't take it no more. I'm like, I had to find out the truth. I'm about to, I want to go get me some water. If these monsters grabbed me, at least I would know that these monsters existed. So what did I do? I literally walked towards the basement door. 
I opened it up. I didn't turn no light on. I put my hands on the side of the walls. I walked all the way down to the basement floor. I sat there and I waited. Heart beating fast. I'm sweating. I'm freaking out. I'm hyperventilating. And then my eyes began to adjust to the dark. And I began to see the little windows in the basement. There were no whisperings, no creature voices or anything like that. Nothing touched me. So what did that conclude? I believed in something so strongly that it kept me from getting to my goal, all based off of what my cousins them told me about these creatures. Once that happened, I kid you not, as a preteen, I questioned every, literally everything anybody ever told me about anything. You say, man, it's a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining. I would have to go out there and see if the sun is shining at me. So I'm saying it to say this. I began to question all this, the white man and the white people kept us down and this and that. So what did I do? I literally started asking my teachers. I started asking, I mean, random people. I literally went into a bank one time and asked the banker himself. I saw him driving a car that looked like the people that drive the cars at the drug dealers. He had a Mercedes Benz. I wanted to know how he has one without doing what they do where I'm from. So I go in there to this bank and I just asked if I wanted to talk to the white man. And the people were like, Who, what? They're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, <laughs> you know, that guy right there, he's the, because that's what I envisioned in my mind. He looked like what I envisioned. He had a nice suit on, hair was slick, had a tan. I'm like, that's the white man right there. So go over there and talk to him. And I just want to know, why are you keeping people like me down? <laughs> I'm serious. Like, Must have his day, me. huh? Oh, my God. He <laughs> looks at me. Uh, he's, he, what? I said, I want to know why you, you're a white man, right? He's like, yes. I'm like, why do you keep me down? Like, why did, why somebody like you put my mom in a ghetto? He's like, I don't even know, you know what I mean? Just imagine. <laughs> He's like, I don't even know your mom. Like, what, what are you? Okay, so it went on from that to him. I'm like, well, how did you get your, you know, how did you get that car? He's like, well, I'm a banker. Okay, well, then what's the banker? He explained to me what a banker was in lamest terms and was like, this is why I got this. And then what was crazy that he said, I grew up in a trailer home. My mom, she was a drug addict and she smoked crack. He's like, and I was like, I know what I'm like, you know, I know what that is. Like, your mom, wait a minute, you what? He's like, yeah. He told me how he went to, no, he had to go to school. And he said, I learned about finance. Oh, I learned about money is what he told me. And he said, as a banker, what I do is I take anybody that wants to put their money in this bank. I take their money. And then I do something called trading with it. And what I do is end up making us make more money. And whatever I make out of that, I get a large chunk of that. That's how I'm able to do what I'm doing. And I was like, well, can I do this? He's like, sure you can. So just imagine that right there just had me just, whoo. So I'm going back to the ghetto. Hey, y'all, I talked to the white man. I talked to him. <laughs> and he said he'd had nothing to do with this going on here. And he said the reason why, da, da, da. And matter of fact, this white man, he said his mom was on crack. So guess what? We might... Some of my family, y'all might have been the suppliers to this dude's mom. And we don't even know him, you know? <laughs> so it just opened up my mind and it opened up my world to all this ideology that I was taught. Can you still hear me? I sure can. Okay. I'm just letting you go because I'm just I'm flabbergasted. Wow. <laughs> so, so it went from that to all of a sudden, I just wanted to just, I mean, man, I wanted to quit. I questioned everything. I, at that moment, no longer believed that some white person was, or white system was keeping me, keeping us in the ghetto. I'm up here asking people like, man, like I'm asking neighbors, Miss Rosie, can't, why don't you just move to the other side of town? No, we can't move over there. Why? Because them white folks, they ain't, I'm like, no, 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 that can't be it. Cause I talked to some, I talked to a white man and that's not it. So I was trying to, I just really couldn't fathom why they did not want to move out of this place. I mean, they talked about it so bad. So I already had it envisioned in my mind that once and however I was to get away from this, I'm going to find out what's on this other side. So 
I end up, I became really good in track and field and basketball. I began to receive college letters from colleges. I didn't know what college was, never heard of it because we didn't have cable. I didn't, I, look, we, I went to school, we ate, I went back home. That was pretty much it. So what I'm saying that for is this. One thing led to another. Whenever I was doing track and field, I would get hurt. And I went to this uh, guy that was our athletic trainer named Zach Soa. Zach Soa and I became really acquainted. He, I began to tell him where I lived at, and he was just like, I can't believe you live over there. And I can't believe, oh, my God, I heard about them places, man. You, you. So me and him became really, really cool. And what he would do, because my mom had a hard time raising us, like I said, he would sometimes give me money to get me something to eat. Because if not, what I would do, I would ask the kids and, uh, and, and uh, the kids that were actually in, like during lunch, the kids that wanted to throw away their milk or their apples, I was like, hey, let me get those. Let me get those. So they assumed that because I was this great athlete that I would just stand up on my nutrition and all that, having no idea. Like, no, that's all I was going to have to take on to eat was apples and milk. So whenever I would get injured, I would go to this athletic trainer and uh, he would treat me. But then it got to a point to where I just hung out with him, stayed there as long as I can before I had to go back to the ghetto. You know, that way, by the time I get home, you know, it'd be pretty late. And all I want to do is just go to sleep, wake up and be away from when I go back to school to repeat it. So uh, eventually, when people would come in with an injury, I began to name off what their treatment was going to be. I was, oh, he just got a sprained ankle, right, Zach? Oh, that's an acute injury, right? Okay, so he's going to need rice, right? Rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, right? Okay, so he need to be on. So I started doing this, and he was like, Ty, like, dude, you can do what I'm doing. You should do this. And I'm like, what? He's like, yes, you should do this, man. You, you definitely should do this. You can go to, you can, you can do this. So by my sophomore year, Zach told me that he was going to go work for a doctor at a sports medicine clinic, and I lost it. I was crying. I was mad. I was upset because now I'm not going to have nobody to go talk to after school. I'm not going to have that, that person there, right? So he went to go work for a man named Dr. Beckton, and he kept on pushing me to, to introduce me to Dr. Beckton. I was mad because I felt that Dr. Beckton took Zach away from me. So I did not want to meet this Dr. Beckton, blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to meet him. So eventually I ended up having a growing pool and uh, hamstring strains. And Dr. Beckton was a doctor that treated people that was like either on welfare he treated them, and he also would do a pro bono. <clears throat> so I told, called Zach and let him know that I was injured. He told me to come up to this place, and I'll treat you. I'll take care of you. So I get up there, and he introduced me to Dr. Beck. And I was just kind of like, oh, God, like, I did not <laughs> want to meet this guy. I'm mad because you introduced me to this man that took you away from me. But then, to my surprise, this man they called, and just think about this, and I'm just telling you the truth. He knows it. His name is Wendell Walden. Beckton. So he said, Dr. Wendell Walden Beckton. When the guy walked out, I just stared at him big eyes because this man walked out and he was black. And I'm like, no freaking way. This black man is walking out is not a freaking doctor. There, no. No, you know what I mean? So he comes out, he's all, Thailand, oh my God, I've been wanting to meet you. I've been seeing all the stuff you're doing in track and field, man. Oh my God, can you, do you even understand? He just started like, and I'm sitting there like, wait, what? So he did, you know, he, he brings me back to his office area. He has like this big old, like big picture frame of a shot that they took at me doing triple jump. Like, it's, you know, you're showing, it's showing me in action. He's like, yeah, I follow you a lot, man. I'm pretty sure people are blah, 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 blah. So then he went on and just started talking about college. And I was like, what do you mean? What, what, is, what is that? He's like, you know, college, you know, I'm pretty sure you've gotten letters, man. And I take my backpack off. And I'm like, you talking about these things? And he just lost it. Are you kidding me? So I didn't know. I thought those letters that I was getting, I thought they were for 
surrounding high schools that was just trying to get me to come to their school to make their program better. Uh-huh. I didn't know what college was. I just didn't. I, so he explained to me what college was and what I can do and da-da-da-da. And he was going, this is Princeton. This is Harvard. I mean, any <laughs> Ivy League school you can think of, I had them, any of them. And so he and I hit it off really, really well, really, really well to the extent where he's like, look, I'm going to follow you. I let him know what was going on. Zach already told him where I came from, what was going on. He's like, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make sure you have all the stuff you need. If you need school supplies, I got you. If you need food, I got you. If you need this, I got you. If you need to come to my house to stay, if there's a gang war going on in your area, come and stay at my house. And I'm just, wait, what? Like, blown. So right then and there, he began to tell me how he came up and that he was pretty much told the same thing. And he came came from a single-parent home. His mom was a nurse. She worked as a a nurse. And um, he and his brother was raised by the mom. He said, when my mom went to bed, he said, no, he said, when we went to bed, my mom was there. When we woke up in the morning, our mom was there. They had no idea that for a long time, their mom was working the third shift that night. She would leave them. She would, they would go to sleep. She would leave, go work her third shift. And by the time that she got off of work, they were starting to wake up. He turns out to be a sports medicine doctor. You can look him up. Dr. Wendell Beckton became a sports medicine doctor. Big time. Ended up working for the St. Louis Cardinals. Got with them. Got me on with them. Won a World Series ring in 2011 and all that. His brother is an anesthesiologist. So once I got to seeing this, it just like, wait a minute, man. Like these people like this exist. Like, so I started asking him, like, you know, you went off to college and uh, was, what, was there like some white people there that was keeping you I don't know. Like, was there white people there? Like, you don't belong here. You know, they show all the movies like Roots and they show they show us all the racist stuff that they want to keep putting in our face. You know, when you walked up to college, were there people there like, hmm, you think you're something now? You're a black Negro trying to come in here. Like, he was like, what? No. Like, none of that was there. I'm like, well, what is it like? He's like, it's like high school, except you're older. I'm like, wait a minute. There is no body there like your professors. Is there, is there, is there people there that's like trying to keep you? I don't know. See what I'm saying? He's like, no, man. I mean, I just, I studied, I worked hard, and I finished, and you can do the same thing, too. I'm like, come on now. So, end up deciding to go to school down in St. Louis area where Dr. Beckton was because I wanted to stay close to where he was. I'm, uh, before I moved, I, I was married, and Dr. Beckton was like, he, by the time he became like a father to me, like I said, that was my sophomore year. By the time my senior year came, I met my wife. She was graduating from college. I was graduating from high school. He was a father that I went to. I was so freaking out. That's how close we became to where I was letting him know, hey, I'm going to be getting married. And, you know, and he was just like, great, I'm all for it, blah, blah, blah. And I was so relieved. To, when I decided to go off to school, there were no U-Hauls in Decatur. Dr. Beckton drove all the way to Champaign with me. He drove the U-Haul back. I trailed him back. He helped me and my wife get our stuff together, drove me down to school. Now, because I was married, I couldn't stay on campus. And with that, Dr. Beckton paid like the full like almost full year of the apartment that we stayed in. Cause he's like, I just want you to focus on your studies. Da, 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 da. And anytime anything came up where there was a need, he would be upset if I didn't call him and say, yeah, doc, you know, well, I do need like a hundred dollars just to keep gas so I can keep on driving back and forth, you know, to school, or whatever. So after that, once I got done with school, and I realized, I know you think I'd, I'd have been all over the country. I'd have been to 39 different states in the United States from doing sports. I'd have been to across seas to Barcelona, Spain, and all these different places that I've went to, hotels that I've stayed in. I never had this crazy treatment that the ghetto told me was out there. There was nobody that ever just like, 
you're not staying in this hotel, boy. You know, there was none of, there was no, there was nobody following me through the store. Nobody following me, like, through the hotel. What are you doing there? I mean, it was none of that. And I really was looking for it. And so, it just, can you imagine, it just completely just made me feel like, man, I've been lied to all these years. And there's nothing that can stop us from doing anything. And so, we did have something similar. It wasn't critical race theory. It wasn't called that. But we had something similar to that in college where they were kind of throwing that out there where there are systems in place that we think that might be there to prohibit black people from blah, 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 blah. But during this time in college, you was able to raise your hand and question the professor and give your point of view on it. And that's something that my professor did. He just said, according to these people that I'm reading, this is what they think. And whenever he would do it, I'm like, no, that is absolutely not true. You know what? Because if you say that white people are the ones that put drugs into the black neighborhoods, are white people the ones that came into those neighborhoods and say, hey, take this crack pipe. Hey, shoot up this heroin. Hey, smoke this cocaine. Hey, sniff this cocaine. I didn't see not one white person ever come and do that. I said, so whoever is telling you that, somebody is lying. And he was like, tie, 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 tie. I didn't write the book. I'm only telling you what the book said. I didn't do it. I don't, I don't know, you know, he, because I'm so sitting you, up here. So you're able to have a conversation with him. Yeah, they'll, they'll let you argue your point back without Absolutely. trying to make you some activist. And, and so when he said, uh, when, he, when you had professors that were like that at that time, it allowed for like an open dialogue, an open debate, because they never, they just, I guess they just thought like, well, man, we never had nobody that came from the ghetto that actually lived this stuff and was around this stuff to give us such an insight. Because all they're doing is going based off this book of somebody that probably never seen the ghetto in their life, but then yet they know all the answers to what's disenfranchising the black people. So whenever these, don't get me wrong, there are some things that's out there. But at the same time, when you tell me that, again, black people are disenfranchised, look at the neighborhoods that they stay in. I'm like, nobody put us there. My mom chose to go there. You know, they chose to live there. You know, so I mean, these type of things is what a lot of people don't get. And then they get upset with me. I'm talking about from the black community too, because the mind has become so victimized that now they feel like I'm coming down on them and that I'm special, that I'm better than them. No, all I'm saying, you can make the choice to get out of there. You just have to want to be out of there. But when you got big brother government that does something, what we call in physical therapy, debilitating them, that's what the government does. The government will do things to make you not want to go beyond that. And what I mean by that, they will increase food stamps. So that means you're still getting free food. They will give you the housing assistance, which means you can stay in the house. And now they're giving you a free cell phone. You got a free cell phone. And then on top of that, you know, they give you WIC. So who in there, who would, if you, if, if you, if you fairly okay with where you're living and you don't got to pay anything, you don't have to pay no bills, you don't have to pay for food, who would want to leave that? You know what I mean? So, and what I went and the issue with that though is that at the same time, the conversations still go on. Man, we just down and tried. Look at us. We can't get out of here. They won't even come and fix our apartments. They won't even look at look at look look at how we live in these. Look at these conditions. It's like, but y'all are choosing to stay there, and they are literally being told. And this is a fact that if they have any man in the house, if they're a single mother, if a man happens to live there and they find out that a man has male going there, they will take all those things away from them. Wow, wow, amazing. Wow. So what you have so is they're taking the, they are systematically and on purpose taking the fathers out of the homes. Yes, and they've been doing this since the, I would say they really started doing this since the 1950s. When the Lyndon B. Johnson kicked in and affirmative action kicked in, mm -hmm. all those things was like the downfall of the black community because it mean, you, you, you have to do something logical thinking like within, like within the medical field. Like I said with the physical therapy part, 
in physical therapy, if we are not progressing a patient, we have to get, we have to, what we call, we have to discharge them because our license is on the line. We will get in trouble if we keep a person debilitated and we don't show any progress. So give me an example. If a patient start off <clears throat> using a, a walker, our goal is to get them independent without using anything. So now we have to show a progression. We'll say, okay, by week two, patients should be walking 100 feet with a wheel walker. By week four, patients should be walking 50 feet with a standard walker. You know, week five, patients should be walking with a quad cane, then a hemi cane, then a single point cane, and then nothing at all. So the goal is to get them independent. But what you have is that you have the government that keeps on giving, metaphorically speaking, they keep giving people walkers, giving them, keep on increasing the food stamps, keep on giving them the Section 8 housing, keep on giving them the free money if they have the, oh, hey, go keep on having all these kids or giving them the money if they actually abort the child. Now, there's a little, little bit of a grant you can get if you aborted a child or whatever like that, so kind of encourage them to do it. Uh, keep on giving them the, you know, the, 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 the free cell phones. Just keep on giving. And now, man, free crack pipes now? I mean, my God. I mean, now we got crack pipes coming now. Yep. And so what you end up finding is that people stay on the walker, but then you never see any progress. They stay exactly where they are because they remain dependent because the government keeps on giving them an upgraded walker. Now, this walker has a cup holder on it. Oh, this walker has an alarm on it. Oh, this walker is made out of linoleum, aluminum, and carbon fiber. Oh, this walker has <laughs> wheels that can go on. They just keep on upgrading the walker, but then the person that's debilitated oh, don't realize they are not moving and they're not becoming independent. Yes. Yes. And that's just, that's, it's just, it's criminal. It's absolutely pitifully criminal. Yes. And it it's keeps going, you know, but I think you and some other people are, are truly standing up strong and um, really starting to make a change. Yeah. I think, uh, especially as the time is right now, I think one of the things is that, and it's nothing to say about me, but it's just that I, what makes it a, more of a threat is that they never had someone that came. I'm not saying there, there's none out there at all, but someone to be, someone to come forward and speak so boldly and not, I'm not scared. I don't have nothing to hide on this. Uh, you can't tell me. I, I can show them where I grew up at. I can go there right now to these neighborhoods that I grew up at, and I still have what they call on the streets, they call it street credibility. Mm -hmm. I can go into the hood. I can go into where the gang activity is. And all I'm going to get when I go there is people like, give me the handshake, showing me love, give me a hug. Oh, man, you was one of the ones that was able to do it, man. I'm, you know, man, yeah, you write about what you talk about, man. And, but again, they stuck in that loop. They moving, but they're not going anywhere because that they, some people just cannot get at that loop because it's not that they can't. It's just that they choose not to. It's, it, it, you know, the... You tell somebody that you might have to work to get something compared to I can just stay here with this free food stamps and uh, the housing is paid for and I got a free phone. Okay, I'll take possibly getting shot. I'll take seeing the violence. I'll take seeing the drug stuff. I'll take seeing the ran down houses. I'll take seeing, you know, crackheads walking around. Just, yeah, hey. And it's sad. But that well, same mentality, to me, though, to, is... A, to, me it's, to me, it's slavery. Exactly. It's, it's mental slavery. It's physical <clears throat> slavery, and it's you stay in your place, and we'll keep yes. feeding you so you don't come out. And Yes, that's exactly that's so what it is. So now it's in their mind. Yes. And it's in their kids' minds. And yep. there's no dad there who's done something to say, you know. Right. BS. Been, get and up you know, and that, 
get going. <laughs> yes, and that and that's one of the things that a lot of people hate about that is that I tell people all the time, y'all they don't want a, they don't want real fathers. They don't want a real father in there. Not, no, I'm not talking about just a <clears throat> a man that's just there just because he's there. I made it a point to where I knew what I needed in my life while growing up. And I made sure, and I prayed to God to have him help me develop the characteristics and the attitude and the behavior. I want to be that father that I did not have to my children, not just making sure that they're, you know, uh, protected or any of that. But I'm talking about, I lay the law down. Like, my sons knew at an early age that dad do not play. And they still know right now that I do not play at all. You know, so being a father to a lot of kids, people take it like it's just this, oh, I'm just going to be just this nurturing. No, you really have to be like real stern with your sons and with your children because the world is not going to treat them any better when they get out there. So teach my sons to be strong. Teach my sons to actually know how to think logically and critically versus with their emotions. You know, or even the kids that I mentor, I teach them these same exact things because this is something that's completely missing within the black community. I'm not saying it's not in all communities, but it's definitely, I mean, 70 some plus percent of all blacks don't have a father in their home. That's and then we're trying to figure out what is it that's making blacks go down. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, you can have in medicine to where I tell people this, when you have something like uh, in, the med- in the medical world, let's just say if a patient comes in, in, in my field, let's say orthopedics, a patient comes in, their ankle is swollen and their leg is actually broken. So uh, what, would it, what sense would it make if I told them, okay, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually, I'm going to drain the fluid out. I'm going to drain, I'm going to pull all the swelling out with a syringe and take the swelling away, okay? I'm going to give you this high, powerful medication that's going to not let you feel the pain, and I just want you to keep on walking. Now, they walking out of there limping just, hey, but I'm, I'm limping. Hey, what the heck is going on? I'm like, hey, don't worry about it because d- does it hurt? No, well, then keep on walking. So what I'm saying that for is this. The swelling is a symptom. The broken leg is a symptom. The pain is a symptom, but that's not the issue. The issue is the broken leg. So right now, when you see the violence, when you see single mothers, when you see, you know, uh, being disenfranchised, when you see, you know, uh, gosh, just the, 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 the education of these kids, then what I see, I look at those things and say, no, those are the symptoms of what's going on in the Black community. But that's not the problem. The problem is, there's not a father in that home, a real father, a real father to his children in that home. You yes. do that, most people, no, no, that ain't it. It's just because, see, y'all want to blame somebody else. If you want to blame somebody, blame your daddy. You want reparations? Go ask your dad for reparations. Ask him for reparations while he wasn't there for one of your birthdays. Tell him you want your reparations for all the basketball games he missed. Tell him you want reparations for the birthdays he missed. Tell him you want reparations for not being there when you needed somebody to talk to about girls or about boys. That's where your reparations lie in. Not in something that might give you some money to, what, what is that going to do? So when you say things like that, it actually kind of calls people to kind of like, oh man, like, I never thought about it that way. Like, Raise your hand if you, if you do, if you wish that your, you wish your father still was just exactly how things are now. Well, raise your hand if you wish you had your father in your life. Of course, all hands go up. You know, it's amazing how the mind adapts and, and uh, embraces what, they, what, they, what their world is like. And if it's if it's putting them down and keeping them down, they just get used to that and, and yep. believing that that's that's it. Yeah, I can't do anything. So so people, all these God given gifts they have, aren't coming up. They're not getting out. And what a, what a waste! What a horrible waste! Yes, and it, it's time that that ended. Time time that the government got the 
just got out of the business of of giving stuff away because frankly i think it's it's a planned thing. oh absolutely you know, you mean you can't by the way, do that with by the way you you give me your vote i know you will because you're getting all this stuff because if you don't you won't get it anymore exactly yeah. exactly and i'm the one that can do it I'm the one that can make a change for the black people. And you know what? And then we're tired of all the racism. You know, they, but it's like, wait, you white. <laughs> it's like, it kills me when they do that. You were up here talking about white people are racist and white people are the oh, white privilege and white this, but then you telling me to vote for you and you a white guy. Well, I'm a different kind of white guy. I mean, I mean it, it just, and it's, it's funny because it's like they, the, the audacity for them to even do it like that. And then people still just buy into it. That's because, again, you're getting something free. One of the things that you get told in nature, and it's a reason, if you're out like, you know, like Yellowstone Park or any uh, major, you know, safari places, they'll tell you absolutely 100% do not get into feeding these animals. If you feed these animals, they're going to rely on you for food. And then what does that do? The animals lose their ability to even want to hunt because why would I go and hunt and work to get this food when I can just get it here for free? And it's exactly. the same exact thing they do to the communities. If you give stuff away to them for free, how can there be a desire to want to do anything else or do anything more? Good Lord. So, mm. yeah. Well, can we take a couple of minutes and talk about charter schools and what they would mean if, if, um, if you have thoughts on that? Um, I think charter schools are a good idea. And the reason why I say that is this. I think they are a good idea and they do work out really well so long as you have the right people in there. I've known of charter schools in Decatur right now. They, you know how it is. Things start off, what they're going to do, what they're going to bring. I always wait for what I call the grace period, the end. Okay, it sounds all good. They got it going. Oh, look, 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 we're already performing good. We're doing well. We're doing da, 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 da. And next thing you know, you start to see this, because you start to see that there are certain individuals that's from the black community too, that they're in there for themselves. They're not in it for the kids. Yeah. They're in there to try to make a name for themselves or what they're trying to do politically, whatever like that. But when it comes to any schools like that, if you have some people that are in there that their heart is completely in it, there's no strings attached, there's no agenda, nothing more than to want to see these kids excel and do well and go up, live out the fullest of their, their potential. Those are the people that need to really need to be in there. Those are the ones that need to be in there. I tell people all the time, if it's not in your heart and it doesn't come to you naturally to do this for people or for children or your fellow human being, then don't do it. I won't, I won't be mad at you. That just That's not your gift. That's not your thing. So some people that, like, say, for example, things that I do as far as speaking engagements, mentorship, some people, they're motivated by what I do, and they feel that that's something that they want to do too. But I'm like, look, there's a difference between you feeling so good because Ty Smith spoke and got you pumped up and you just want to do something. And then they'll start off doing it two, maybe three months. Then you start to see them start to leave out. Because I told them, look, I get it. I get it. Your heart was not, oh, oh, the stuff that you see when you see Ty Smith speaking and all, all these people around, all that stuff, the propaganda. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying they, they're, the lights flickering and people are cheering and all this. But then you see Ty Smith in the real world. It's like, okay, wait a minute. This dude is wearing some cargo pants with stains in it and a regular T-shirt and he out here... I didn't know it was like that. I just thought that you just went in. No, it was like, no, I'm really here doing this stuff. Dirt, you know, there's dirt in my fingernails. I'm, I'm helping this woman change an alternator on her car. Like, oh, I, oh. So what I say that for is this. I try to tell them, look, there are people that are doers 
and that are people that can be contributing to the doers. So if you somebody that just says, I want to help, I want to be out there, you're going to find out you more of the person that say, hey, tell you what, I'll give you a check for the cause. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because then what can happen, you get involved in this stuff and these kids attach to you and your heart really is not in it and you kind of ease your way away. And then these kids come up and ask me, hey, Mr. hey, Mr. Ty, where did Mr. Johnson go? Oh, well, you know, Mr. Johnson, he, uh, he has something come up and he heartbroken. You know what I mean? Yes. Because these kids don't know how to differentiate. When, you, when these kids get attached to you, they don't know how to differentiate just as looking at you as just being a man. Unlike us, I can look at them and say, these are my little mentorees or some people that I'm just mentoring. I can do that. But that's not who I am to them. They put you up on this pedestal as being pretty much like a father. Like a father, like a, exactly. Yeah, that's... they put you up on that pedestal. And then when you back out on them and hurt them, it can be completely devastating. So they already had like a little bit of a hesitation in kind of letting you in anyway. And then for them to fully let you in and then they embrace you and, you know, they take you on, they begin to tell you their secrets, their fears and all this. And then for you just to ditch them, uh, man, they, they put up a wall to where now, what the heck, why try? I mean, he gave up on me. Why? Why try? He said he was going to be there and all this. And so why? I mean, God, this, I guess, I guess, that you know, then you got the gangs. We're going to show you the real love here. This is where real love is here. Go do this. And then, you know, gangs will get these little kids into selling drugs, whatever like that. And then they praise them. So we have something called a positive feedback loop for a negative thing. They can be doing something completely wrong and completely bad, but if they're getting that positive feedback, yeah, look at you. This boy sold two kilos. Look at, oh my God. So that makes them feel good. I'm doing something. I'm making some man proud. He feel, even though it's a wrong thing. And that's what I'm saying. It's so, it's so deep. There's so many deep elements to it, man. It just, it's mind-boggling. Wow, wow. Well, listen, your story is uh, obviously... Uh... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mind bending to me. Um, it's pretty, what you say is so obvious and yet <laughs> it's such a surprise, not that you're saying it, but it's a surprise to people that hear you. Yes. Uh, and you know what? I, I, Godspeed, keep it up. It's, um, you you're a great voice. You're great ideas. You're to me, a wonderful, you have children. How many? Three, two boys, two 18. Boys. Well, they're getting, uh, and next week, one is going to be turning 20, and then two weeks after that, the other one's going to be turning 18. My goodness. <laughs> yes. I have uh, children that are in their 50s. Woo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, my wife and I met early and got okay. married early. Yeah, yes. I always so. tease my sons and say, say, Dad, when you get old, I'm like, wait, time out. When I get old, y'all going to be old. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> I'm like, when I'm 70, you're going to be 50. What are you talking about? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> Listen, Ty, it's really, really a pleasure. It's truly a pleasure. Um, I, yeah, wonderful. Good to talk to you. I'm so happy we've met. I hope we can keep this up uh, on, in other ways. And uh, I'd just like to say, how can people get a hold of you? Um, we'll, we'll get stuff posted below, but what should they be watching? Um, they can watch my Modern, uh, Modern Renaissance channel. Man. That's right. My YouTube channel is called Modern Renaissance Man. Yes. They can follow me at Instagram at Modern Renaissance Man, but the O in Modern is a zero. They can follow me on Twitter at MRMologist. Um, I'm also on Rumble as Modern Renaissance Man. They can catch me on Cities 92.9, the news and talk of Bloomington Normal from three to five on Saturdays. And um, they can also uh, have an email that's listed on all my social media, but it's T as in Tom, T Smith. 
1-800-273-1264 at Yahoo if they want to do any type of uh, bookings or invites for me to come and speak. Very good. Super. Well, <laughs> I don't That's know. only the tip of the iceberg, by the way. Uh, so you... <laughs> I know. We're going to have to do this again. I don't know. what, what but it's, I'll draw a line here next time. It's, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I've, yeah, it's just such a pleasure. And uh, I can tell you're a great father. And that's, that's, that's just marvelous. Yeah. Keep it up. I think Absolutely. your wife must be pretty wonderful, too. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks. No, yeah, she can be okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, she is. Love my wife. That's why we're here 20 years. So there you go. God bless you. Likewise, bless sir. You. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.